Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to another episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh. I'm willing to bet if you are a human being with a beating heart, you have a lot going on in your life right now. It feels like there are dozens of things that have to be done every day. And of course, life loves to throw those curveballs. I just had a huge curveball of my own when my father unexpectedly had to have open heart surgery and our whole world changed in the blink of an eye. Clear the calendar, cancel travel, and pray that everything will get done and podcast episodes can still get recorded because I really thought there was one week I really thought I was not going to get that episode done. But he's okay, by the way. He's back home and we're taking his care one day at a time. And that phrase, one day at a time, is exactly the kind of growth principles this episode is about. It's easy to wonder why things happen, and even more importantly, how do we get through all the curveballs and change and still have a happy, fulfilling life? Why is this happening right now? Why do I have a problem with alcohol? Why do I have a spending problem, a food problem? How do I fix my problems? Why do I feel stuck? Why am I so overwhelmed? If you're feeling stuck and overwhelmed, that's okay, and this will be a great episode for you. And if you're thriving and all the things are going good right now, I still want you to listen up because this episode is jam-packed with recovery and growth principles that will take your self-help game to a whole new level. You may know my guest today from his own top-ranked pod, the Addicted Mind Podcast. And as Dwayne shared his story with me, There were so many growth principles in every step of his journey, from the tried and true one day at a time, to perseverance, curiosity, asking for help, being willing to try something different, getting out of his comfort zone, facing fears and insecurities. The list could go on and on. You're going to hear a lot of self-help sort of buzzwords in this episode also, and if you stick around to the end, I'm going to give you some ideas and pointers about what you can do with those to get you farther in your self-help, healing, and recovery journey. So stick around to the end for that. Right now, here's Dwayne Osterland. Mr. Dwayne Osterlin, thank you so much for doing this with me. I am super excited to get to know you more and learn more about you. Uh, tell everybody a little bit about you. Oh, about me? All right. You put me on the spot here. Uh, I'm excited to be on, on your podcast as well. Uh, yeah, my name is Dwayne Osterlin. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm also host of the Addicted Mind podcast. I love helping people. I love being in the helping profession and supporting people on their journey of living their best life. And uh, that's kind of what I do. You know, I'm also a, a dad. I have two kids and married and that's my life. I love helping people. I love supporting people and I love working in the helping profession. 
What was it for you in at, at what point in your journey did you realize that that's really what you wanted to do? Oh, that's a great question. What's interesting for me is I feel I was kind of lucky in the sense that when I was younger, when I was about 17, I was struggling with depression, uh, anxiety, alcohol. I was drinking a lot, pot a lot. And I had a lot of supportive people around me that intervened and got me support and went into rehab uh, when I was about 17 and was able to get the support I needed at the time to kind of walk through that process, walk through that darkness. And I really feel lucky because I think it gave my young brain some time to heal. I definitely have an addictive personality, so I'm always aware of that. But I think, you know, getting into treatment early really helped my brain develop. And and I got some skills I needed right away uh, to help me. But I didn't go into the helping profession at that time. You know, later in my life, I, I went to school. I actually studied uh, radio, television, and film, and got into the film industry. Uh, worked in photography and worked as a camera assistant. Although I don't think I was a very good camera assistant, I, I don't think it was really cut out for me. But I did that for about uh, 10, 15 years working in that industry, and really wasn't. It didn't fit me. It, it really. I thought, you know, it was going to be great. I thought this is what I wanted to do. I, I thought, oh yeah, this is, and I, and I put a lot of work and effort into it, but I really, as I got there, I was like, I really don't, I don't, I don't like working <laughs> in this industry. It's hard. It's, um, it's not as, as glamorous, especially on the other side of the camera when you're, you're on the crew, it's not as glamorous as, as you know, we, we make it out to, I mean, there are some amazing things you get to do with it, but but um, so what happened was I was um, and I'd always been interested in psychology. I've always kind of been that kind of person, I think, from that early experience of, you know, having to do that introspection and, and work on yourself. I always had an interest in in, you know, what makes me tick? Why? Why am I the way I am? And why are other people the way they are? And so I always had that interest in my in my being. But um, I was working on a film set and um I, I tripped over a, a like a, a cable. They had an electric cable running out. And I think I was I was running somewhere to do something. You know, every, there's always like rush and wait and rush and wait. And I tripped over a cable, broke my leg. And so I couldn't work. I, I had time. And I wasn't one to like just sit around and not do anything. I And so I kind of started going, oh, what do I want to do? I, I kind of knew I wasn't really happy in what I was doing. And I saw a, a program for um, psychology. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll just take a class, check it out. I can't work anyway. And, you know, it's summer. I have I had like six weeks of disability and the course was six weeks long. And I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll try it out. So I went down to the university and and I talked to the dean. His name was Vince, an incredible man. And he talked with me for about an hour about this. And he said, you know, I think you'd be good at this. I'm like, oh, all right. He goes, you know what? I have a class starting this weekend. I'll let you in it. I'll let you in it. And I'm like, all right, well, let me think about it. And, and uh, you know, I thought, about it, well, okay, why not? I might as well do it. And I did that class and I just really fell in love with it. Yet I was still working in the entertainment industry. And, you know, that's how I made my living. So I kind of went back and forth between those two things. And I started, then I started to pursue a master's in it because uh, I had a bachelor. So I just started to pursue a master's in, in marriage and family therapy trying to kind of hold on to my old life and trying to do this new life. And eventually I just, uh, there was a moment where I realized like, this is what I really want to do. I, I really like this and 
I really like helping people. I really like seeing people thrive in their life. And it interests me. It's fascinating. I mean, we are fascinating animals. Um, you know, why, why do we do all the crazy stuff we do? It's, it's just, it just kind of, um, uh, boggles the mind sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I got into it and I just started to go from there. And then once I got my master's, I, I went on and, and, uh, you know, did my internships and did my hours and got licensed and did all that stuff. And, I think as I did this work, I was naturally called back to the, the the addiction field from my own experience and my own early experience of that. And so I started to pursue that, um, you know, worked in a lot of different uh, treatment settings until I started my own private practice and my own group practice. And, and I think that's also where the podcast, The Addicted Mind comes from, is I just love learning from people. And so the podcast itself gave me an opportunity to talk to people. It gave me an excuse to talk to interesting people that, you know, like had these new ideas about change and uh, being our best selves. And so that just kind of grew out of that passion. And so here I am and I'm, I'm grateful that I get to do this work. Yeah, I agree. I want to back up a little bit because I want to ask you about some of the fears that you dealt with in thinking about switching careers, right? Because so many people, like we get sober and obviously if you want to change your life, you have to change your life, right? So all of yeah, a sudden, like yeah. you're getting sober and you're facing a lot of things that maybe you were in denial about, right? There's th with relationships, yeah. but with jobs mm -hmm. for sure, where people start questioning. I know for me, I was a bartender for 20 years, right? Once I got sober and I knew very early on that I wanted to dedicate my entire life to recovery. I knew at four months sober, it's all I wanted to do and talk about. But all of a sudden I'm facing this like, well, what the heck do I do? Right? Like I had no education, I had no skills, right? I was a fantastic bartender. It's all I had ever done, but I right. wasn't employable, right? I had never had a regular job. I'm much more feral than domesticated. So it, I would never even consider like going to a company corporation, like an office job, like that would just kill my little soul. And, and it's an overwhelming time. So I'm curious for you in facing that career change, what were some of the things that really scared you? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. You know, when I, when I look back on that, it, it was a, it was a little bit of a gradual process, but I had to let go of my old self, my old identity. I had to, uh, kind of, uh, grieve that loss. I had put so much into building this identity of working in the film industry. And that was so much a part of me. And, um, and I, and I thought in some ways when I was younger, when I started that, you know, I was called to the glamor of working in the film industry. And there was some part of it, like me, that also gave me like an ego boost too. Like I work in the film industry and, um, you know, I had to, I had to let that go. I had to let all of that disappear and and fade away and then you know the other piece is the the reality of the financial piece like how am i going to make a living as a a therapist and you know how do you do that right and and i remember there was this moment where um i had met uh, an older colleague and 
this is when I was still beginning. I, I didn't really have a position anywhere and I wasn't really, I was kind of like half in working as much as I could, you know, uh, working in the, in the film industry, you know, from job to job to job. Cause I worked a lot in the commercial industry and those jobs would run like three or four days and then we'd move on to the next one and, and stuff like that. And, and so this guy's like, well, why don't you come to the office? And he worked out like, a. Uh, a, a larger uh, public clinic and everything. And so I thought, oh, maybe, you know, maybe he's going to ask me if I can work there. You know, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I got a job. And I remember meeting this guy and he's talking to me and he's telling me how horrible it is to be a therapist and how, you know, you can't, you can't make a living. And, and, and I, I was totally taken aback by it because I, I thought it was going to be the complete opposite. And, and I really kind of went into a little bit of despair and I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe I, maybe I chose the wrong profession. Maybe I'm not going to be able to make a living doing this. Maybe this is just going to be, you know, cause all he would talk about is, um, you know, working to, he worked in public mental health, which is a lot of charting and a lot of all, all of that kind of stuff. And I'm, and, and that's, you know, I, I guess in a way I'm, I'm like you, I, I don't do good with like <laughs> structure. I like to be in control of my time yes. and, and, and uh, do all that. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, maybe I made it, made a huge mistake here. And, and I didn't know what to do. And, and so I, I just sat down and I, I, I started looking around and I, I started looking for other places. And luckily I came across uh, a, a person that was, was taking um, interns on in a private practice setting. And luckily, you know, I reached out to this person and he, he gave me a job and I was lucky enough to grow from that, but, but it was scary. I didn't know if I had made the right decision and, um, but I took the risk to do it. I, I knew that it, it was, I was passionate about it and I, I loved it and it was interesting, but I didn't know if I could make it work a, as a career and be able to support myself and my family and and do all that. But but luckily I was able to do that. And, and there were some times that it was, um, you know, it was difficult. It was scary. I didn't know if if I would if if it would work. And so I think when we we make that change, we've got to say goodbye to that old piece, right? Mourn the loss of our change. I mean, there's identity in that. Even if we're in our addiction, and even if we're in all of that stuff, it's part of who we are and letting that go, um, is difficult. I mean, I would imagine the same for you. Like, you know, here you have this profession as a bartender and realizing like, I can't do this anymore. It doesn't work for me. You have to say goodbye to that. You have to mourn that loss. And then you're going into the unknown. A hundred percent. And you're taking a risk and you don't know if it's going to work and it's, it's scary. And so, you have to take the chance, but you have to also, you know, summon the courage and take that that risk to do what's passionate for you. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to be in a place that just I wasn't happy where I was. I kind of knew on a level I wasn't happy. This isn't this isn't really fulfilling for me. It's not enjoyable. And I love what I do now. It's great. Yeah. I love yeah. helping people. It's wonderful. It's hard work, but I love doing it. I appreciate so much to just talking about the letting go of that old identity because that's so challenging in so many ways. And that's one of the spots where people stumble a lot, right? Because I know for me in my practice, what I see 
a lot is people want to quit drinking and not change their lifestyle. And that's really challenging, you know, and there is a mourning process for sure, but there's also a weird transitional phase because just because you decide to be something different doesn't mean that that old version of you magically disappears and you just jump into your new life as this new identity and who you want to be in the next chapter. Like it's a process. Did you have, like, were you a confident person? Like, did you trust your ability to figure things out as you were making the transition? Oh God, that's a good question too. You know, I, I don't think so. I mean, I am filled with insecurity, <laughs> you know, as a human being, I, you know, I, I wish I could say that I'm confident and that I just have this will towards success and, and, and stuff. And, and that's, that's just not true. You know, I think I did it in spite of that, you know, and kind of summoned the courage. I didn't know if anything would would work i mean i looked at the evidence out there and i said well other people are doing that so it has to work Mm -hmm. somewhere right but like i wasn't like oh my gosh i'm you know i have this will toward success and here i'm gonna go and i'm gonna walk into this and uh, no not at all (laughs) it was scary yeah um you don't know but i also knew like like i could see that other people had done it and and been able to work in this field and make a living so I knew it was a possibility. And I guess I set with that, I set my mind to figuring it out and starting to go, okay, if other people have found this pathway and you could look at like in recovery too, right? Like there are people that get in recovery and you can see those people like, wow, they're in, they're in recovery and look to them as, as your guide. And if they can do it, you can too. It's a possibility for you. So then I went to figure it out. And I went to investigate and I went, I put in the time to go, okay, I see that this is a possibility. There must be a way, there must be a pathway to this. And so I put the time in to start to investigate that, look at it and, and ask people for help Mm -hmm. and ask people for support and say, look, you've done this. Would you be willing to help me do it for myself? And what I've always found in doing that is people who have gotten there want to help other people get yes. there too. I think as human beings, it's it's most of us, you know, maybe there's, you know, there's a small percentage of people out there that are not the right. nicest and, and selfish and don't want to do that. But by far the majority of people out there want to help you and they wanted to help me. And so in investigating, I went and asked these people, how did you do it? Right. And I found the people that had done it and the, and their willingness to support me and then got their help and then kind of worked through that process of, of getting there and finding my path. And, you know, I really consider myself, I'm, I'm not there yet. If that makes sense, I'm still learning and growing. This is still a process. Um, but I'm at this point, I am secure in, in what I do and, and love what I do. You know, but it, it took time to get yeah. there. There are so many pieces of what you're talking about that are such a great testament 
even to recovery principles, right? And it is like that one day at a time. Like you're just figuring it out. You're just showing up. You're willing to learn and ask questions and put in the time and energy and effort. And you're just figuring out as you go one day at a time. And that's that's exactly what recovery is. It's not having all the answers in advance. It's not knowing what every day is going to look like or feel like or having all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers. It's just about showing up minute after minute and asking for help from the people that can help you and you figure it out as you go, but also staying dedicated to, which is another piece of, as you share your story, there's another recovery principle in that is like, you have to keep doing it. A little bit of grit, right? We we have to have a little bit of grit uh, to hang in there. And one of the analogies I use is like, you know, when you look at people, I don't know if you've seen the documentary on, there's a couple different documentaries on there on on Netflix of people like climbing Mount Everest, you know, they're like, they all know they're going to get to the peak or they're going to try to get to the peak of Mount Everest. But most of the time they're just focusing on the next base camp. You know, I just got to get to base camp and then I just got to get to base camp one and then I just got to get to base camp two they're never they know their goal is out there they know that their goal is the peak but they don't really focus on that that's Mm -hmm. kind of in the periphery and I think um you know what I've learned is that I just got to focus on this next step that's really all I got to do and and it takes practice of putting your mind there to to do that I just have to get through today or I just have to accomplish this one thing today and then I'm good and I'm not going to worry about it. I know where it's kind of leading Mm -hmm. and I'll get there. But if I find for myself, if I focus too much on like the peak, Mm. I just get paralyzed and then I just don't do anything. Yes. And I just kind of like wander around, you know, wondering where to go. That's when you get overwhelmed because you can't, there's no way to know the how, right? And that's really where people get stuck is they understand what they want, but they can't figure out how to get there. Everybody wants to know how every step, how's this going to happen? How am I going to make this work? How is this going to feel? How am I going to respond? How, how, how? And you just can't know those things. And that's where some of that almost blind faith comes in. It's like you have to keep showing up and just know that the next step will present itself. The how will become clear as you're doing the thing. But you're yeah. exactly right. Like I remember my sponsor saying to me, he's like, Angela, we think about the future, but we live in today. And this was yep. another such a valuable life lesson, right? It's like I have a general overview of my future, what I want it to look like, what I want to achieve, where I want to be in five years. I have a basic overview. But I don't know every step that it's going to take to get there because you can't plan that stuff. You don't have any idea what opportunity is going to present itself or who the person that you're going to meet that's going to be the person that introduces you to the next person that's going to give you a job or a different opportunity. Like you can't plan that stuff out. You have to just show up. Yeah, you have to just show up. I, I think that's, you know, you, you have to surrender to the process. Yes. You just have to let go and give it to, if you know, if you have a higher power, you just give it to your higher power and you just surrender and you just march forward and trust that it will present itself. The path will present 
itself to you. And you have to have a little bit of faith in that. I mean, look out around you. I mean, like you're saying, you know, and and on the podcast, you know, I talk about all these people that have come on my podcast, and I'm sure your podcast too. They've they've gotten better, mm-hmm. right? There's your evidence, right? Yeah. All of these people have have lived through tribulation, uh, hurt, pain, grief, loss, hopelessness, and found a way to the other side. Yes, they found a way to transcend that, and it's like, yeah. Let's celebrate that. So there is a path out there. And so when I'm working with people, I want to instill that hope in them that there is a path forward. It can feel so dark Mm -hmm. and it can feel so hopeless. But look, there are people out there who have done it. There are people out there who want to help you. Whatever your goal is, if it's recovery, if it's a career change, if if it's something you want to change, Someone, someone else has experienced that or has experienced that will help you. And, and you got to trust that process and, and, and ask for support. And I, I was thinking as you were talking too, like, I think that's one of the benefits for me that I really got out of being in, in rehab early in my life. Like it, it kind of taught me to reach out. It taught me that it was okay to get support that I could let go of that fear itself. I mean, so many times I think we get stuck because we get afraid to ask for help. Like if we ask for help, we're weak or bad or broken, or they're going to see how flawed we are, right? And that's just going to confirm what we already believe about ourselves, that we're we're broken. And I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. You're going to find out you're a human being like the rest of us, right? right? You're going to find out you're normal. You're going to find out that this is what it is to be alive, is to... Uh, walk through these things and to experience these things. And I guess that's like, I, I want people to know that like you're, you're human. Yeah. You're, you're, it, this is what it is. This is what it is to be alive. Yeah. And to be compassionate with yourself. Yeah. And don't do the comparison thing. You know, I have, yeah. I catch a lot of my, like people in my Facebook group or even my clients like early on where they'll be comparing their journey to my journey. And I'm like, dude, I'm 18. Like you are not, like you are not going to be doing the same things or understanding things the way I understand this many years in, right? Like that is different. I do the same thing in business. Like I had to learn that lesson in business where I'm looking at people 13, 15 years into their business. And I'm like, why am I not in the same place? You know, why is my revenue not where their revenue is? And it's like, well, that's impossible. You know, I haven't taken all the steps yet to get there. But yeah, the comparison I think will, will really destroy some of that hope that you're talking about. Oh yeah. I mean, and you know, we'll always compare, compare ourselves to someone who's like way up there or we really admire and then be going, well, aren't I supposed to be there? Shouldn't I be there? And I think that's learning to be um, compassionate to ourselves and just celebrating our experience in front of us Mm -hmm. that we get to experience in, in, in the present moment. And I was also thinking as you were talking too, I mean, a big component of that, which is something that I love is like mindfulness and practicing mindfulness in this journey. Cause I was thinking about, you know, when we're just thinking about the peak, at, at, you know, Mount Everest, we're missing what's in front of us. Mm-hmm. And this is what we need to focus on. And a lot of people, it, it can be hard not to think of 
of the peak because that's what we want so desperately right we whatever that means to us whatever that symbol that symbol is for us you know it's like i'm not where i should be i'm not where i should be there and 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 i want to be there and and i'm here and i think what's important in in these moments is is cultivating that ability to be mindful to the present moment Mm -hmm. and to be able to stay in this moment. And that's a skill that you can learn over time, mm-hmm. right? That's a skill that you can learn to harness. And, um, and it's something that, you know, when I, when I started in, in therapy, uh, and I was just beginning and I was doing my first hours of working with clients and everything, there was a colleague of mine that introduced me to mindfulness and he introduced me to John Kabat-Zinn's work, who I love. He's a mindfulness teacher. And, um, read one of his books and I just really, really fell in love with that as kind of a cornerstone of my practice, which is, you know, cultivating that mindset of being present Mm -hmm. in this moment so we can get all the information we need to make that next decision. Like you said, it will present itself, but we have to listen and we have to, we have to pay attention to that. And I mean, that's another piece of it, uh, that I was thinking about as well as we were talking. You have to equally listen to when things aren't the next right move too. Yeah. You know, that was a huge lesson for me is I can get very fixed on something and, and what I want and getting it, achieving it. And I caught myself, it's been many years ago now, but I would catch myself like trying to force things right? Like something wouldn't be working out. It wouldn't be happening. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I'm trying so hard to make this happen. It just won't happen. And I can be a little bit of a bully, right? Because I'm an achiever. So like, I want to get the thing, whatever it is. Yes. So I finally realized like, oh, okay. When it feels like you're hitting a brick wall around every turn. It's because it's not the right thing. Like stop trying to force it. That is not the next right move. And that's why it's not working out. That was a tough one for me, but also so beautiful. And there's such a beautiful freedom in that, right? Where earlier in my sobriety, I would get mad about that stuff. You know, the second I didn't get my way, I would be throwing some version of a temper tantrum, you know, whatever that might yeah. look like. But I just was so intolerant, you know, like every good five-year-old, I was so intolerant of something not going my way and I would just freak out. And there's a real freedom in being able to let that stuff go. And not be upset or feel like I'm missing out on something or feel like I was cheated out of something because I didn't get what I want, but just understanding that just wasn't the right thing. Yeah. I I think that takes that discernment too. Like, and I think once again, that's something we get better at as we move along in this process. I mean, I remember the same thing, having kind of pushing in a way that this is what I wanted, but not really listening mm-hmm. to myself and mm-hmm. listening to the environment and trying to push forward to something that really wasn't right and really wasn't good for me. But, you know, I needed that for maybe some other issue or ego issue that I, I needed or some kind of belief that I really needed to like let go of and, and, and process. But taking the time to be able to do that. And then having that discernment of like, is this actually really a good decision for me? Mm -hmm. Is this really actually fit in my life? And 
um, you know, yeah, we get caught up in our own stuff and we get caught up in, in doing these things from maybe some of our own ego, some of our own belief system, uh, that we, we don't understand. And yeah, we're driven to do the things that aren't the healthiest for us for who knows why. <laughs> and uh, we got to explore that and then understand and then process through it and, and let go. And, but I think it's great when we get to that flow state and we kind of know, and there is freedom in it, but it, yeah, it takes time to harness that. Mm. I was probably seven, six, seven, eight years sober before I was really figuring that out. You know, the the moments that really stand out to me where I learned that lesson, I yeah, I was probably six, seven, eight years in at that time. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you on behalf of my audience, this is one of the most popular questions I get, and I am not a marriage and family therapist, so you are the perfect person to ask. Um, All right. People struggle so much in partnerships, right? Married or not married, whatever. Um, when one person gets sober and the other person doesn't. And yeah. say, it is, say, say it's even a drinking problem, right? One person gets sober and the other partner actually drinks problematically. I'm not here to tell anybody they're an alcoholic or not. You got to figure that out on your own, but problematic drinking, regular drinking, which obviously is going to create challenges for the person staying sober. What is some professional advice you would give someone in that situation? Oh, wow. That, that is a very, um, it's a big question. It's a big question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a big question. I I think let, let's step back a little bit and talk about having healthy relationships in general. And a lot of times what I've come to understand, if we struggle with addiction in our lives, right, we probably have our own trauma around that addictive process. And probably generally, and it's not everybody, I'm kind of generalizing, um, we have attachment trauma too, right? And attachment is... Um, how we connect to other people. So most people who struggle with addiction have these issues running in the background. So before even you can address that directly of, should I stay? Should I go? What should I do? I would say you have to invest in understanding yourself around those issues first as, as kind of a foundational piece to really understand What's going on? Where am I in this process so that I can make the best decision for myself on what's going to be uh, right for me in this relationship, right? So once again, uh, kind of delving in deeper in into the self and, and doing that work. And I think that's going to help lay a foundation to be able to make a decision. Now, in a relationship, when you get to that relational uh piece. I mean, this is a decision that each person is going to have to make. You know, I don't think I can make anybody get sober. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Right. But what I would say, what I can do is I can make an environment for myself and the other person that promotes that without necessarily giving myself up in the process right? So if I'm getting sober and I'm working on this, I'm going to work on myself and I'm going to work on how I show up to the other person. And maybe, maybe that will motivate change for them. 
And I see this over and over. Uh, uh, and usually it, it does because the system itself will start to change. If you're changing yourself and changing how you show up in this in in the system, it's going to change it. Yes. Right. Yeah. And you can do it in a way that makes it positive for everyone involved. Right. And when I say positive, that's not necessarily everybody's perception of that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not necessarily everybody's perception, but you can show up in a way that promotes that openness so um and promotes that that change process and i i kind of see this over and over again when people come in and um they get recovery usually it motivates other people in the family system to get some kind of recovery or help now some people are entrenched in their addictive process um and they're just not going to do it and you have to make a decision, you know, for yourself. Can I stay in this? Is Does this work for me? Right. And some people choose to do that. You know, it's like, I still love you. I can still be here. I can function this way and I can, I can do it this way. Other people are like, nope, I'm going to have to leave this relationship. But once again, it's like focusing on yourself and your own healing will change the system itself. Focus there and let go of your partner's uh, process. It doesn't mean that you have to tolerate something that isn't good for you. I, I want to be clear about that. That means also boundaries, right? You can't get them to be a certain way. You can't get them into recovery. This is an internal process that someone has to choose on their own to do. And that That's my thought about it. But it doesn't mean you don't create an environment that maybe help that process go forward. I hope that answers your question. I know it's it's not a like do this, do that, and but it, it sets the stage to be able to kind of look at it from a different perspective. There's so much value in everything you just said, and you know there is the tendency always to look at, especially for a person with addiction, you're always looking at the outside things, right? Yeah. You're always looking for the thing to blame or the thing to do to feel better. And there's always that tendency where people want to go, oh, well, this is so hard for me because my partner still drinks and my partner won't change and I'm in this alone and alcohol is still in the house every single day. And there's no question all of that creates challenges. At the same time, it's not impossible either. You know, I mean, I was a bartender. I continued bartending many years into my sobriety because It was the only skill I had. So it is certainly possible to be in that space. And I really appreciate that you put some emphasis on boundaries because that really, I think, is the key in those beginning stages uh, is really creating some boundaries to have some safety for yourself. If you're the sober person in the household, you do have to create some sense of safety for yourself. And I would add to that, like that there'll be consequences to setting boundaries Mm -hmm. that might not be comfortable Mm -hmm. for everybody involved. But that is actually where healing starts to take place. It's when we set those appropriate boundaries, we we motivate the system to to move. So, um, you know, I mean, a boundary for someone in that relationship is like, I'm not going to engage in conversation with you if you've been using or drinking. 
That's just a simple bad. It's like, you know, I'm not going to make you not drink or, or do whatever, but I'm not going to engage right. with you right. when that happens. And that would be a boundary. But you know what? They'll, there'll be fallout from that. Probably mm-hmm. there'll be pushback for sure. There'll be pushback, but mm-hmm. that boundary um, sets the framework for the other person to say, well, if I want to have a relationship with this other person, I am. And the only way they're going to interact with me is if I'm sober, then I got to find some way to maybe do that. Now they could end up that they just decide, you know what? The addiction is more important to me. And you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But as a person, you, you know what that is. You can't, force them to be there anyway, because that's not what you want, right? You want people to show up. don't predetermine either, right? Don't sit at one week sober or one month sober and create this vision, you know, or this version of the story that, oh, they're never going to get sober. This is never going to work. Like, don't predetermine the possibilities because you really have no idea what the possibilities are. And I just dealt with this with a client recently where she got sober and her husband continued to drink and there were some challenges for sure, but they actually had some decent communication and she was willing to do some of the uncomfortable things and setting some light boundaries to start with, you know, but really kind of changing the dynamic. And, and we, we made it very simple, you know, for her and for him and lo and behold, he quit drinking like shocked us, you know, but he quit drinking and yeah, which then changed things a lot. And she sat with me, like when she did my renew you program, my private coaching program, she was doing all that predetermining, right? This is never going to work. I don't know how I will ever do this. I don't know how my marriage will survive this. And I'm like, listen, we don't have to worry about all those things today. Those aren't decisions we have to make today. Let's just figure out today and let's figure out how to navigate this situation right in front of us right now and how to also be respectful of him because this is also his marriage and his life, right? And we want to be really mindful of that also. You know, we're kind of yanking the rug out from under him, you know? Yeah, I, I I like that you say that. Like you you do all of this with respect of the other, and you're creating an environment that has healthy interaction into it. And and like we were talking about earlier, once again, that's not focusing on the peak. It's right. focusing on what's right in front of us today. It's base camp one. We just got to get there. And maybe that's just setting some nice boundaries in our relationship that promote personal health. And maybe we'll uh, promote that in in the other person we're in the relationship with as well. And it, and it it's hard to set boundaries, right? It's hard, well, especially to, if you've never do done work. it. If yeah. you've never done it and you're codependent, I mean, it's terrifying. And if you have, like what I was talking about earlier, some of these attachment traumas, setting boundaries or feeling like if I set this boundary, I'm going to be abandoned. You know, all that starts to come into play. That's yeah. why you have to know that stuff too, because that will start to play out in how you set those boundaries and and how you do that. Because you'll be like, oh, if you're really afraid of abandonment, you're and you're not dealing with that issue, then it's going to be really difficult for you to set a healthy boundary. Like, hey, I'm not going to interact with you if you're if you're using. You won't do it because you'll be like, oh, I'm gonna they're gonna abandon me, so I just I just won't do it. Right. You have yeah. to understand yourself. And and I, I believe if, you know, we work on ourselves so we can show up as our best selves for the people around us, wherever they are at, whatever they are doing. 
And if we're doing that, we're going to protect ourselves with um, good boundaries for ourselves. We're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to uh, say no when we need to say no, say yes when we need to say yes and, and protect ourselves because we've done our own work, which will then, I believe, help promote healing in the people we're interacting with as well. For sure. Yeah. Tell us about where the podcast came into the picture for you. Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, uh, because I had a group practice, I thought, oh, it would be, it would be good to like start a podcast. And so I had a couple, you know, this is one, once again, talking about like grit and sticking with it. I had a couple false starts on it. And, um, finally I, I remember just saying to myself, okay, I'm just going to commit to 104 episodes, right? Which is and a just, huge commitment. I know. I know. It's kind of, I think about it now. I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh. You know, now I, that I you know, know what, what I was committing to. Yes. But, now that you know what it actually takes, uh, it's like, oh my God, like, 104 episodes I know, but this was is my, insanity. Yeah. But this was my thinking at the time. Well, right. there's 52 weeks in a year. I'll do right. it for two years. That's 104. Yeah. I'll, I'll, it took me a lot longer to get okay, to 104. Just to let the the audience understand this too, most podcasters start a podcast and don't even make it to episode 10 because it is so labor intensive and there's so much going on. So that's why we're kind of chuckling about making a commitment yeah. to 104 episodes. Most people it's don't hard even, work. Yes. Most people it's don't even work. make it to 10 episodes. <laughs> I think I was a little like ignorant of, of that, but once again, I just focused on that going back to, to using that analogy of just focusing on what's in front of us. Right. I just said, I just got to get this episode out this week. Yeah. And I kind of forgot about the 104. And then the next thing I knew, not the next thing, but all of a sudden I'm like, oh, there's 104. And then I really just fell in love with doing it. And once, you know, once you get better at it, you you figure out the systems, it gets easier as you do it. Um, but I I really love doing it because uh, like we were talking earlier, you know, you get to meet all these interesting people. Like I get to meet you and and talk right. to you. Like this came out of the podcast. We get to have this conversation. And so it just it grew out of that passion to 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 help and so it kind of started as I thought, oh, this would be good as a marketing thing for, you know, our group practice and everything like that. And, and from there it grew into its own thing and its own passion. And, and now I really love connecting with people online and connecting to the audience. And, and I think what really feels good to me is, you know, I hear from people like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for this episode or that episode. It really changed my life. And I'm kind of like thinking, Wow, I you know I'm I'm just recording I'm I'm interviewing a guest, and it's having this huge impact on other people and and that feels good and so yeah. that's why it kind of keeps going and you know I've had some amazing guests on the podcast that have brought information to me that I'm like I just wouldn't even be aware of yeah right? I didn't even think about it you know and I'm like wow that's fascinating yeah I didn't realize that I didn't realize like this was you could do this or you could do that or that this worked or, or that worked or the mental health field is in a, a little bit of a, a, a renaissance. So I, I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by human change. I'm, I'm fascinated. Like, how do we change? Yeah. How do we do it differently? Yes. Right. And That's the good stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun and fascinating. And then, you know, meeting all these interesting people from all over the world. I am obsessed with the brain 
and the brain parts of addiction. So when I first got sober, you know, there were theories that addiction was genetic. And when I was in my early sobriety, they were really proving exactly what genes play a role. And it was so fascinating to me that it was the first time for me that I didn't feel defective, right? Like reading about the brain part of addiction really made me understand it on such a bigger level where it wasn't me being yeah. broken or doing something wrong or making bad choices. You know, of course, all of that plays a role, certainly later in your drinking. But yeah, it was just the first time I, I didn't feel defective. And that led me to really study the brain and how the brain works and and how we can do things and make change and behavior yeah. change. And your brain really wants to support you in that. And so I kind of understood early on, I was like, okay, so if I just keep showing up and I stay in this new behavior, no matter what, then my brain is going to jump on that ride with me and do whatever it yep. needs to do to support me. And we're going to be golden. You know, like I just, I, I just made it so simple for myself. And all of that to say, there are some really intriguing things happening in the brain research of addiction. And there is conversation about the possibility of it being curable, you know, yeah, in, in know different ways. Crazy, huh? And it's crazy to think about. Well, it's crazy yeah. to think about also because it is so multifaceted. And so it's such a layered illness to have. There are so many layers to it. So it's hard on one hand to think about how it could be curable. Like I get it from a brain standpoint, but, um, but I think there's still going to be the behavioral aspect, right? And the trauma aspect yeah. and, you know, attachment and codependence and, and perfectionism and, you know, all the you things You know, building the life you it. want, right? I mean, that's, yes. to, you know, you may, you know, once again, you may get sober and you may not engage in a, in a, a drug or a be, or addictive behavior, right? Um, but you're still going to have to work to build the, the, the life that you want. And that takes its own effort. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think also, you know, understanding that this is a biological process. You're yes. not, you're not crazy, yes. right? This is how the brain works. And this is beyond your sense of willpower mm -hmm. and beyond your sense of, um, uh, self, like it's not all just there. I mean, that, you know, that idea of willpower comes back from a very, uh, old philosophical stance, um, that, you know, we, we had, uh, we, it was our moral decision-making that caused all this, right? This is old belief systems that we now know are, it's not that simple, right? right? It's not that simple. And that um, this is about um, the, the brain being hijacked by a substance or a behavior and the reward system in the brain getting wired in a way that produces these choices, right? It's, it's in some ways it's, it's beyond us. And then at the same time, it's, it's holding both of these things, right? It's beyond us. But at the same time, we do have influence over that, right? Right. By how, by some of our choices. So we're balancing those two things, but mm -hmm. there's something else going on here. If we can influence this, curing it, is that, you know, I don't want to say that too loud because yeah, <laughs> right, sounds like right. so hopeful, <laughs> right? I mean, you still have to build your life, right? You still have to 
uh, work on things, work on relationships, build community, and that takes investment. But if it gives you a little bit of breathing room to then do that work, I think that's that's incredible, and I think that's that's great, and I and I think that's um, you know I'm excited to see how this research uh, progresses as yeah. as we. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just moving so fast. The research is moving so fast that it's just like, it's it's even hard to keep up with it all. Yeah, it is for sure. You know, people with addiction are literally just the strongest people ever built. Yeah. I, what, what a lot of people don't understand is that our brains function that way all the time, right? It's not only with drinking or only with food, Right. Our brains are in overdrive 24 hours a day about almost everything. So yeah. there is very little peace. You know? And that's yeah. where something like, like that is so significant. Where If you can just have a rest from all the noise that is in your head nonstop about every single piece of life, you know, to have a little bit of a reprieve from that is really welcome and appreciated. <laughs> yeah. And it gives you the ability to, to do all these other things that are, that are necessary. And, and I also say, you know, on the other side of it, there are ways to cultivate that, uh, in, in ways that don't involve, uh, uh another, um, pharmaceutical, if that, yeah. if that makes sense. Like, you know, that's where like, I love mindfulness too, because, um, practicing mindfulness, like you said, you were talking earlier about how the brain will slowly change over time. Yeah. As we, if we, if we put ourselves in that environment and we put ourselves there, eventually it becomes part of us, right? Yeah. It becomes part of who we are. And we, we slowly do that over time. I mean, that goes like, um, that's why I love mindfulness and, and cultivating a mindfulness practice because it helps my brain settle down. Yeah. Um, and like you said, I, I think anybody who struggles with addiction or trauma, you know, our brains are pretty active and can be pretty all over the place on cultivating that, um, that, you know, uh, a mindfulness practice, um, is something we can do to help settle that, settle the nervous system, understand how our nervous system works and, and create that calm that we're seeking. Now, does it work all the all the time? No, I mean sometimes things are just hard. You know, I mean. Well, it's also not fast, and I think that's where people yeah. get frustrated with these methods mm -hmm. that really work and are incredible. Is that it's just not fast. They, it yep. is a practice, like you said. I mean, you have to do it consistently. You have to be committed to it. You have to make it a point, a priority, right? Yeah. And. And it does bring huge relief. There's no question. I wouldn't have made it this far if I didn't have, you know, meditation, visualization, deep belly breaths, which I live for yep. a hundred yep. times a day, you know, um, exercise for sure. Like 99% yep. I, I, of the reason I exercise is for my anxiety. It's not, I mean, I'd yeah. love to be one of those people that's like super healthy and it's so important for me to go to the gym, but this is the only way that I can survive. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. You learn the, the skills. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and anxiety sucks. I mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I totally understand that. If I if I struggled with anything, you know, it's anxiety and and um and that anxiousness and and being in that anxious state. So the same thing. You know, I've had to cultivate these things to relieve that for myself yes. and to work on myself because 
Yeah. Yeah. No one likes anxiety. It's miserable. Especially when it's super like, you know, your anxiety is really at its peak. It's like, this is just not a fun place to be. It can be debilitating. You know, it really can. Like I never had, I never had a lot of major depressive struggles, but I definitely like my anxiety can be debilitating for sure. Yeah. It can freeze us. I mean, our, our nervous system is off to the races and Nice to see you, Anxiety. Thank you for coming along here. (laughs) My head is such a colorful place. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Dwayne, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me. What a fantastic conversation. Oh, thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. What a fantastic conversation. I hope you loved that as much as I did. And as I promised at the top of the episode, I want to offer some actions you can take with some of the behaviors and buzzwords you've heard in this episode. We mentioned ego, trauma, abandonment, and attachment, which is how you connect with others. And if you find yourself wondering why you're an alcoholic or why you have a problem with drinking or another substance or behavior, these are some of the underlying issues that many of us struggle with. If you're looking for the why, then spend some time Googling the buzzwords that stand out to you. I didn't know I had attachment issues until it was mentioned in a book I was reading. But the moment I heard the phrase, I knew it fit. So I spent some time researching it and learning more about myself, and you can do the same. Many people tell me that they don't have trauma or they don't think they had trauma. They had a great childhood and all those things. Many of us don't have major violent trauma, but I would say most of us have life traumas, breakups, death, divorce, toxic relationships, car accidents, betrayal trauma. I feel like there's no way to live life and not have some relational traumas. And getting to know yourself is the best way to heal. Not pointing the finger at everyone around you and all their problems, but getting that finger pointed squarely at yourself and start figuring out how to heal so that you can live a better, happier, more fulfilling, sober life. You can't fix other people's issues. And quite frankly, it's none of your business what someone else is struggling with or what they need to work on. You are your business and you are the only thing you have any control over. So if you're looking for the why, the underlying causes of your problems, start with Google and YouTube and search these terms that stand out to you. Again, in this episode, we mentioned abandonment, ego, attachment trauma or attachment styles, and trauma. Discovering who you are and why will also lead you to the solutions and give you answers as to how you can start healing. And if you want my guidance as your personal coach on this journey, I'm happy to help. You can apply for my Renew You personalized coaching program to work with me one-on-one. You can do that at addictionunlimited.com forward slash call. And I will link that in the show notes too, so you can get there right from your podcast app. You have so much power in your journey and transformation. It just takes a little time and energy to get the results you want. I hope you're having a fantastic day and I will see you next week. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. 
Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.